You're listening to Someone Like Me. This episode was recorded in the early months of 2022. We had just purchased our new Survivor Restoration Campus, and the conversations you hear in this third season will refer to this campus as well as our former name, End Slavery Tennessee. In 2023, our organization rebranded to Ancora Tennessee, ushering a new era as we nurture survivor healing and strategically combat human trafficking in this state of Tennessee. Now, without further ado, we present Season 3 of Someone Like Me. Please enjoy. This is Someone Like Me, the official podcast of Ancora, Tennessee, formerly known as In Slavery, Tennessee. I'm Leslie, and this podcast helps you learn more about the ways Ancora, Tennessee is combating human trafficking in this state. We do this by providing specialized case management and comprehensive aftercare for human trafficking survivors and tactically addressing the problem through advocacy, prevention, and training of frontline professionals. As this season of the podcast tells the story of Ancora, Tennessee's vision for 2022 and beyond, starting with the new brand and mission, vision, values rollout, then the Survivor Restoration Campus, we now get to put a sharp focus on the feet-on-the-ground approach to the new vision of Ancora, Tennessee moving forward. Today's episode talks with Kelsey Mize, Director of Survivor Care, about the program expansion that will begin to take place in this organization over the coming years, a process that will adapt the current programming from nine months to two years. The framework we talk about today is how we provide comprehensive aftercare for survivors of human trafficking. It's the how behind the why, and it will make a drastic difference for those who will be served by Encora, Tennessee in the future. Around the table, we have Kelsey Mize, who is our wonderful director of survivor care, who was on last season. And then we have Marissa, who works with our survivor groups. And we'll hear from her this season. And then Stacy, of course, and then me, Leslie. We are building on this idea that Ancora is rolling out a lot of new programming over the next couple of years. And we are in the Survivor Restoration Campus, which is this brand new, beautiful place that we get to care for people at. And so in our first episode, we talked about the new direction. And it puts a focus on housing and residential programming, which is something that we've had for a bit. But this is going to be amped up quite a bit. And Kelsey, you have been working on a huge program that is going to start rolling out. So this new framework moves us to a two-year residential program from a nine-month non-residential program, right? Currently, our nine-month program is residential. But it is going to be adding a lot of different elements and a lot of different transitional pieces for the different needs of the survivors. So why go from nine months to two years? Why is that time important? So when we kind of started this agency, the housing developed out of just a need. And so it wasn't super planned. It, it kind of was, hey, there's these survivors that keep showing up and they need housing. And so it started at just kind of 30 days. Can we find them housing? And then we realized, okay, 30 days is not long enough. Nashville housing <laughs> market is insane. So then it started expanding and expanding a little bit more. And so the reason it's kind of at nine months right now is it gives them a little time for getting into groups, programming, getting kind of safe and stable, and then looking for jobs. 
We are learning, though, that there is so many gaps and there's so much difficulty around finding jobs and finding housing that's safe. And so we really want to lengthen the program to be able to invest more into the survivors we serve and give them a little bit more time to develop the skills that they need so that they can be successful um, once they transition out. Yeah, that's great. So take us through what happens in a two-year program. And you're in the midst of building this, right? So what will happen to these survivors in this two-year program? So we are designing this that a survivor can access multiple points throughout the program. And so while we designed it to kind of start of somebody entering at the beginning and going through, somebody also might be able to jump in halfway through based on needs. But to begin, it's that crisis stabilization. So ideally, it takes about 30 days to get somebody to a place where they even know if they want to do a program. If they're coming off the streets, if we are kind of getting them from a hotel, that first thing that we need to do is just establish that safety and make sure that their medical needs are met, that they have their basic needs met, and making sure that they build that kind of trust with us and help them to discover what they want from either a program or their next steps. That second phase is our intensive outpatient programming. It's going to be trafficking specific so that we can really target some therapy groups. We can kind of get them some treatment to really establish some safety and stability in their um, journey. And we're going to be talking about that specific phase this season as well and what intensive outpatient programming actually means, which is a really big phrase, but we'll get into it later. So keep listening this season. Okay, continue. Yes. The third stage is kind of our vocational readiness. So it's going to be a 12-week job skills and building up those things so that they're able to enter into the workforce and get really good jobs that they're able to turn into careers. After that, we have an independent living program that will be about six months where they just get to practice. So they get to practice Mm -hmm. what it's like to have a job, um, what it's like to have that routine, going to work every day, being there to support them when they might fall or they might have kind of bumps in the road as they're kind of getting adjusted to that life. And then the last phase, which would be a year, is that sustainable living. So getting them to a place where they are able to pay rent, where they are able to budget, where they have a job and a career that they are moving through, and they don't need as much support. So we're still here and we're still helping them with safe housing, but we are not holding their hand as much as we were at the beginning. Yeah. And I love that that's a full year because it provides a lot of space for support while, while empowering people to live their life. But we're here. And one of the big things that we saw is while a survivor is in our shelter, it is considered that they're homeless because they're not paying rent because they're, you know, living free with us. And so they were not having an established rental history when they were trying to transition out. And it was very difficult for them to get housing. So we are hoping that during this sustainable living period, they would pay rent to us. We would hold all of that money um, and give it back to them when they leave. So they have money for deposits and utilities and all of those things. But it allows us to establish a rental history with them yeah. so that when they do move out and they are going to apply for apartments, we can say, hey, this person paid on time every month. They were a great tenant. They did this. They did that. Um, and it really helps them get the opportunity for a better housing option versus trying to go in without any kind of rental history or background. That's so holistic. That's the goal with all these programs is we really noticed that while we were touching a lot of these areas, so while we were providing housing and some of that crisis stabilization and job skills and therapy groups, 
we could do it better. We could provide more of that. We could really fill in gaps where we were noticing that like, hey, this is good that we're doing this, but we could do it in an elevated level. Yeah. So you're really breaking down some of the barriers that helped produce less um, recidivism or? Yes. That's the word. That's a big word. Uh, Something else that you said that made me think about how people recover from, well, anything, and that is that it's not linear. And it can zigzag in and out of those different stages. And sometimes you need to go back to stage one, perhaps. Is that Do you see, find that to be true? Yes. What does that look like? Well, and I think that's the beauty of this program is that if somebody does just need, maybe, you know, maybe they are living on their own. They've done the therapy. They've done the groups. But I really need a new job. My job skills are just not where I want them to be. I want to elevate that. They could come and just do the jobs program. Or if they were living independently and then something happened, then they, maybe they could move into our housing, the sustainable living housing, because they already have a job. They're already independent. And so the ability for somebody to kind of come in where they need it versus a program that we're trying to push everyone through in a cookie cutter manner is really exciting. And with our survivors, we do see that healing is not a straight line. And so there are times where somebody is doing really well. They might have a job. They might be living independently. And then they get into a really bad relationship and they might need to come back to us. Or something happens with their job or we always say that, you know, our survivors are kind of one flat tire away from going back to the life Mm -hmm. because certain financial crisis or events can push somebody back into Again, those bad decisions, those old habits. And so being able to support them at whatever stage in the journey that they're in is really important to us. And that just drives home the importance of lifelong support. Because when your entire life you've been doing one thing, to reverse that in two years is just, I mean, two years is a long time, but it's not long when you're looking at the length of time and the structures and the habits and the routines. Well, and... Something that, I mean, is kind of known in the therapeutic world is most healing doesn't start for two years. So you're having to build that rapport. You're having to build that trust. And so that's what we're hoping to establish. But that last stage of our program is that alumni status of you are this forever relationship. And so anything that comes up in the future, we're going to be here for you. We know that it takes a long time to build that trust in that rapport with a survivor. And so we don't want to just cut somebody off and say, okay, you're good now. You're healed. Yeah. Go in and do the things. We really want to be there so that if, if hangups or things come up, that we can still have that support. I love that you said that because we've only been an organization for 10 years. We've just changed our name to Encora TN from End Slavery, Tennessee. Um, That's a pretty young organization, but we've established so much, and our growth is very important, and our sustainability is critical to helping this dynamic of human trafficking to be less in the state of Tennessee. And actually, our big vision is to eradicate it. And by designing a program like you're talking about, we are bringing that stability so that we can complete this mission and vision we have. When you said that it takes about two years for healing to take place, there was a survivor interview. It wasn't for this podcast. It was for another project. But this woman went to therapy every week for two years, and it wasn't until the second year, two years, every week, 104 times, presumably, that she really started talking about her trauma. 
and her story with someone. It took her two years to get to that place with someone. And so the importance of it being a long-term game. And I think, I'm sure it gets very overwhelming. Well, when you think about the amount of manipulation and abuse that these survivors have witnessed and endured, it's going to take them even longer. For every year of abuse, it's going to take them twice as long to open up and trust someone else. It's just hard. Yeah. So, Kelsey, this six-stage, two-year program, you are kind of building it specifically for Encoratean. What was the process to build it? I mean, what brought you to being able to do this? I think a lot of it came from my work with the women. I started as a case manager. And so kind of at the beginning, seeing some of the trials that they were facing or the frustrations that we were having of, oh man, there's a lack of resource here, or we're running into this barrier. And so one survivor that comes to mind, she was my first client on my caseload. I have worked with her since 2016 and have been part of her entire journey. And when she went to get a job, she was working at a little phone store that's not the the best. And it, they don't do, you know, background checks and they pay under the table. And that was kind of why she was drawn to it because she had pretty bad felonies and she wasn't able to access a good career or a good job. And so because of that, she's making, you know, barely minimum wage. So it makes it very difficult for her then to go find housing mm-hmm. because she can't really access great, stable, safe housing because the job that she's taking does not have a lot of opportunities for growth or forward mobility. And so frustrations like that of she is doing so well, she was growing and she was doing the groups, but yet it felt like there was always something in her way that kept her from succeeding to her full potential. And just that frustration of we could be doing more. There has to be more that we can do to set them up for success in the long run. You illustrate strengths-based philosophy in that story, which I know is one of our foundational ideologies. So the strengths-based part of that story, remind me if this is correct or not, but when you said that she had a felony and she had barriers to employment, and yet the strength is that she found employment, even though it wasn't a sustainable way to do things. And I just, I love it when you illustrate things like that, because I don't think everybody understands how, do, how we, we look differently at some of the behaviors we see. And while somebody might think of it as a certain behavior is not so endearing, we find ways to understand why it's important and and why it is part of a healing process, even though it doesn't on the surface seem that way. Well, and for her, there was so much about survival of she needed a job to survive. And she was held up at gunpoint three times while she was working this job while she was six months pregnant. So the amount of trauma that, you know, we often think that a survivor comes into our program and it's like, oh, now their life is perfect. And they're on this healing path and Mm. there's not going to be any more trauma entered into their lives. But based on the jobs that they're getting or even where they're moving to, um, if they're moving back into unsafe neighborhoods, There's also a lot of trauma that gets reintroduced back to them um, and can affect then their healing journey and adds on to that. How did you even go about building this? I mean, what are the puzzle pieces that you pull together to put something like this on the ground? So I think a lot of it came down to seeing what was working in the field with those who struggled with maybe addiction or domestic violence or other areas that we see such an intersect with and seeing how we could then translate that to our agency and make it a little more specific. Uh, My parents are teachers. 
And my mom talked about, and I've probably said this on the podcast before, but it blew my mind when she first talked about this. She would have students who were exhausted and she'd sit down and talk with them. And it turns out at 1 a.m., there was screaming in the house or they were in the emergency room at 1 a.m. because of, you know, whatever. Children are not, and I have a five-month-old, almost six-month-old now, and there's so much of my life that goes into building her routine and setting a safe space and teaching her to rest and being quiet and security and stability. And if you don't have that from a young age and if you've been experiencing trauma from a young age, it takes a lifetime to rebuild routines, stability, security. And when my mom told me that story, I just thought— You know, when I grew up, sure, I would wake up in the middle of the night and I would be afraid because there were monsters under my bed, not because there was screaming next door or gunshots or what have you. So setting that stability has to be a really important part of this two-year program to retrain what that can be and what that can look like. Absolutely. Often the survivors we serve have significant trauma in their childhood. A lot of times we're seeing that they have sexual abuse starting at very young ages, and that kind of stunts their brain development and their growth. And so while we might be working with a 29-year-old or a, you know, 38-year-old, developmentally, sometimes they're kind of closer to a 12-year-old or an Mm -hmm. 8-year-old based on where that trauma was introduced into their life. And so we are having to kind of reparent them, help them really develop a lot of the the structure, the emotional regulation, um, the coping skills that might have been something that was just kind of ingrained in us through our childhood that they've never experienced. Mm -hmm. And so That's another reason it's so important for this support throughout this kind of two-year program to address a lot of those different areas that, again, might come naturally to us, cleaning your house, you know, stuff like that that they might have never been taught and really helping them learn those really important basic skills. And just the incorporation of letting them know that growing and healing is a lifelong process. It's, you can't, get through all of that in nine months, two years. And with this organization, they will have that support system for the rest of their lives. Mm -hmm. Well, the behaviors that our survivors have were their survival techniques. And so Mm -hmm. a lot of these things that they are unlearning are things that kept them safe for so long that it's very difficult to take those away, especially Mm -hmm. if you're not immediately replacing them with other options of safety. And look at the strengths that they are gaining through all of these traumatic experiences, the ability to adapt, the ability to survive, that is incredibly important and worthy of of acknowledging. You don't want to just wipe it completely from their past. Right. It is remarkable to me how resilient these women can be. But even in their healing journey, I see them get so tired. Just this past week, I had a client who was like, why am I not better? Why am I not in a better place? And we had to break down how long she had been in that environment. And change doesn't happen overnight. Healing and change, growth, it's a lifelong experience. And just to look at how far she's come within this time, how long did it take you to get where you're at? That doesn't change overnight. But even seeing how exhausted she is and how she's trying and it's hard. Change isn't easy for for humans in general, but she's not giving up. She's still showing up to all the groups. She's still fighting every day. And it's just amazing to me. 
Well, and by removing some of the barriers of like finances and jobs and housing and by providing that safe space where they can rest, we're allowing them to be able to focus on that treatment where if you do not have your basic needs met, you're never going to be able to rest. You're never going to be able to focus on those things. And so that's something that I love about our program is we're able to provide that space where we are meeting their basic needs so that they can focus on the other things that they need to focus on that would be difficult to if they were just trying to survive. We are in a campaign called Healing, Housing, Hope. And we want to make that a sustainable exercise always. So if anyone listening to this wants to invest long-term in the healing of our community, and if you don't think you haven't been affected by human trafficking, you're deceiving yourself because we all have been touched by this one way or the other. And we all need to heal from it. And today's the day to begin that. We're doing something and we want people to partner with us, whether that is financially or learning. By listening to this podcast right now, you're learning about this truth. And um, we would invite you to do something about it and participate with us because we all need to heal from this part of our society that's broken. We'd like to thank Junior League of Nashville for being a community awareness partner with someone like me. Our producers are Stacy Elliott, Caitlin Reed, and myself, Leslie Eiler-Thompson. In addition to being a producer, Claire Bidegary Curtis is our engineer, and she is assisted by Selena De La Cruz. Special thanks to our intern, Riley Herman. And the original music you hear is by Zach and Maggie White.